But for our first series, I was thinking, you know, again, like, what do you, what do you preach on for your first, your first series? And I was thinking, you know what? Why don't we preach about the first church? And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to be diving into Acts. Um, Acts is a book in the Bible. You have the New Testament. You have four Gospels, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And all four of these give a narrative about the life of Jesus, mostly focusing on his three years before the death, burial, and resurrection that he has. And then after that, this incredible thing is born called the church. And Luke, who writes one of the Gospels, records the birth of the church, this kind of movement that not only swept, started sweeping the world 2,000 years ago, but is still constantly having an impact today as the largest movement in the world, largest growing movement currently and to come. Within 350 years, this thing that was started that we're going to start reading about called the church became the largest religion in the known world in the Roman Empire, became something that the emperor himself converted to. So it had a, a, it started with just a couple of hundred people. And how did it grow to this worldwide phenomenon in just a few hundred years? Well, we're going to kind of get the beginning of that. And what did that look like? What did it look like when uh, Jesus first rose from the dead? What was he doing? What was he talking about? What happened that just completely impacted these couple of hundred people that they then began to give up their lives uh, for this message of Christ? And so we're going to jump in. We're going to start in Acts chapter 1. We're going to read the first couple of verses, uh, and we'll have the verses on the screen over there if you want to follow along. So verse 1, it starts, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. We're going to stop right there. So right here, Luke is describing what the book of Acts is going to be. If you read the, the beginning of Luke, we have a, 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 an intro about Theophilus, but here Luke is kind of giving us, all right, what are we going to be talking about? If you read a, a history book, you kind of get an overview or a um, a prologue of what is this book going to be about? Well, we can learn about one first, what was Acts, who was Acts written for, this guy Theophilus. Uh, when you do some digging into the intro to Luke, into the intro to Acts, it's pretty safe to say that we know Theophilus was most likely part of the upper middle class in Roman society. And so what Luke was trying to do is he was trying to write a gospel and a history of the church up until that point that would begin to share a different narrative of what the Roman Empire would understand of these Christians to be or the church or what they really saw at that time was this new sect of Judaism because Christianity really didn't get its own term until later on. And so Luke is writing this narrative specifically so that there would be citizens in the Roman Empire that are starting to hear these crazy things when Luke is writing this about Christians. I mean, crazy things like they were doing baby sacrifices, um, that they were having all kinds of like weird occultish stuff going on, that they were murderers, that they were robbers. Literally, there was every kind of rumor that you can imagine going on about these new people called the Christians. And so Luke is specifically trying to write something that's combating this understanding of who Christians are, what they were like, 
and he wants to get into the Roman intelligentsia a new form of thinking about the church. And so Acts is the second book. It's a two-book series. His first book is the Gospel of Luke, and the second book is the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, But a lot of theologians like to refer to this book as the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Um, Because as you read the book, you begin to really understand that, yeah, there's a lot of people doing things, but it all comes down to one source, one center, which we're going to talk about. And so as we jump in, Luke begins to lay a groundwork of what do we need to understand in the beginning of the church? What is it that we have to know, that we have to constantly come back to? What is it that's a foundational truth? That as we begin to understand Jesus, as we begin to understand Christianity, as we begin to understand God, this is a foundational truth that we have to keep on coming back to and back to. And this is what Luke begins to talk about next. So we're going to jump into that right now. It says right here in the next verse, it says, Jesus presented himself alive to them or the disciples after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The more you begin to read the Bible, whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, there's this foundational truth that you see all of Scripture pointing to. And it's this term that a lot of people like to use that we call the gospel. And the gospel, if you break it down, it's just called the good news. But what the the, the entire Bible is speaking to, whether you're reading the prophets in the Old Testament, or you're reading the gospels literally, or Acts, or you're reading the letters from Paul or John or Peter, you realize that it's all pointing to this one foundational truth that we call the gospel. And this good news is not something that you graduate from as a Christian. You know, you meet a lot of Christians that they've been doing, you know, they've been in the game for a long time, right? It's almost like they got their retirement plan mapped out. Like they put in their 15 years, I got another five, six years, you know, and then I'm good. Like, you don't need to teach me anymore. I don't need to do anything anymore. Like, I'm good. And a lot of times, Christians treat the gospel like that, like, hey, I went to the foundation classes already. Like, I'm a member here. Uh, I pray more than 10 minutes a day. I think I'm good. I understand this thing called the Bible. And they treat the gospel as this thing where it's like, okay, you taught me the gospel. I understand this, this guy, Jesus. He did his thing. And now I can move on. Tell me more. And so we have a lot of preachers, a lot of people nowadays, well, hey, You learned about this. Let me tell you, you know, some real truth about the Bible. Let me tell you some secret knowledge, secret wisdom. And even in the early church, they had people like this. They called that Gnosticism, where there was some, like, mystery, some truth that you had to learn about, some secret stuff, you know, the secret soft. If you put this verse here and you pair it with this verse, and then, hey, if you take the numbers of this one and you throw it, you wiggle it in a little bit. Here, look at this awesome menu and, and, and just platter of success. 
that I'm going to drop on, on you. If you follow this formula where you get A, B, and C right, I'm telling you, you're going to get a raise next week. Right? We, we have people that they, they have walked away and they think, oh, I got that. I'm good. You know, I said a prayer. You know, I did my thing. Uh, you know, every time I walk by the church and I'm good now. And as long as we got that down, then we think, all right, the gospel's for babies. You know, that's the, that's the milk. But there's something that, as you're reading the scripture, that is renewed as you keep on learning about the gospel. It's not something that you graduate from. It's not something that you get too old for it, spiritually or in age. It's not something that you don't have to come back to and remember. The gospel is literally something that we should meditate on every day, every morning, every afternoon, every night, because it affects every area of my life. Say I'm dealing with unforgiveness in my heart, right? Some, you know, family. I love my family. They're here. But sometimes family gets on your nerves, just like I know I get on my parents' nerves. And maybe you're dealing with some unforgiveness, right? Somebody jaded you. Maybe you're an employee that you, you found out that they said something about you, and you just, I got to sit next to them. I got to smile when I see them. And then we, we may scour through scriptures, we may talk to people and say, man, what do I do? This is starting to eat me up alive, like I have not spoken to my family for 10 years, or I just hate this person, and it's starting to drag into every area of my life, or this coworker, I just want to hit them, and I don't know what to do, and I see them every morning. And you think, how does the gospel affect that? But when you learn about the forgiveness that Christ has given you. And you realize, and I wake up in the morning and I think, man, Justin, you are messed up. Like, I can't even get to weekly services till today. <laughs> and I can think like, and I look at my past and I think of the things, the crazy things that I've done. And I think, man, I, how can I be forgiven by a holy, righteous perfect God. Enter the gospel where he says, while you were still sinners. That means not after you were done sinning, not after you got cleaned up, you know, shaved the face, got a nice haircut. Maybe for the ladies, you, you straightened it out, got the makeup done. No, not after that. It was right when you woke up ugly face. That's when I died for you. It's that moment that you were the most depressed, that moment that you felt like you were most in the hole, that moment when you thought nothing can save me from who I am. Christ at that moment said, while you were still a sinner, I died for you. And if you can forgive me at that moment, then how much easier for me is it to forgive this person for this moment? See, the gospel affects every area of our life, and it's a foundational truth that we will come back to again and again. We never graduate from it. We never get better from it. We never outgrow it. We never get too big for the gospel because every day it should have a renewal and a purifying effect on your heart and on your mind. 
And so what is, what is Luke saying here? He gives a kind of quick version of it. In verse 3, it says he suffered. Christ suffered so that we can be right again with God. Right? There is a cost for my evilness. When I would lie, when I would cheat, when I would steal, there is a cost for that on my soul. Someone had to pay the price for that. And I'm thankful that in my life, I don't have to pay the price for that. Christ suffered. A perfect man who lived a perfect life. literally spotless, did not sin, went through one of the most excruciating deaths that humans could think of called crucifixion. Before that, he was beaten literally to the point of death where you can see the bones in his back. They beat him so hard. This perfect man, this God-man came to earth and suffered as payment for my evilness, for our evilness. I know a lot of people are thinking like, yo, I've been good, I'm good, okay? Have you ever lied before? If you say no, then we got you in a lie. I love this story because it's so true, just the, the innate like sin nature that the evilness that we're born into of man I I I'm like throwing all my junk out in front of my parents right now but they know this story because I'm their kid but I used to get allowance from both of them and and I knew it like I remember my 50 cent allowance for feeding the cat every day when I got home from school I got 50 cents a week and I was like yo this is pretty cheap I need a little bit more than 50 cents how about I double my income and get a dollar so I would go to my dad on Saturday and I'd get 50 cents from him and then I'd go to my mom uh, that night and get 50 cents from her. And then one day they started talking about who they were giving the 50 cents out to, you know? And they're, you know, they had to pull me aside. Justin, have you been... Both of us? For real? You're like five years old, man. But even from a young age, we just, we have this nature inside of us. If you have kids, you've been around them, you know that there is something that causes us to do wrong. And it stops being cute after a while. And so when we're measuring up righteousness, we may think, hey, I've been good, you know? Haven't cheated on my partner. Steady job. I'm good. But then when we look at the righteousness of God, never a lie, never cheat, never steal, never any wrong, and we think of that, and we look at our life, then we realize something. I am not that good. But God says, that's okay. I'm not asking you to be like me. I'm just asking you to accept what I've done. He suffered so that it can be like this with him. It says he presented himself alive. 
so that we could know that he overcame death, right? It's not just about, man, I'm an awful person. I am really doing bad at life, which, hey, that may be the case right now. But at the end of the day, we can remember that Jesus presented himself alive. That means this awfulness, this death, this sin that brings us down, that brings depression, that causes us to wake up messed up some mornings or go to bed mad at night. We remember something that he rose from the dead. He conquered sin. He conquered death for a specific reason. So that I would know this Sunday morning that this habit that I cannot kick, this, this sin that I can't seem to get over, this ugliness that I feel when I'm alone, it doesn't have to be that way. I can realize that God not only took the suffering and the pain that I was supposed to have, but he also conquered it. He said, you have no power anymore. And I can be renewed that morning and realize there is a way out of my bad habits. There is a way out of my idolatry. There is a way out from this life that I need freedom from. And then it says he was taken up. And he was taken up for a very specific reason. Some people ask, like, why did Jesus, why did he go back to heaven? Why didn't he just stay? There's a lot of reasons for that, and we're going to read on, because the next part is about his ascension. It says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. This starts off with a kind of funny dialogue. I always chuckle when I think of this. It's because if, if you read the Old Testament, the Jews had this way of going about their theology that when they saw their Savior coming, he wasn't going to be um, a Savior like Jesus. He was going to be a king like David, where he was going to come, he was going to raise up an army, and he was going to kick out every oppressor, and the Israelites were waiting to just form up. Man, they had an entire sect of their people called the Zealots, who had already began to fight the oppression of the Roman Empire, anticipating that the Savior was coming soon as they knew him. They were looking for a physical kingdom of God here on earth that they would then rule over the entire earth. They were like, hey, God, you know, and the, remember when the whole earth said no to you, you know, the, this guy named Abraham, this guy named Moses, they said, yes, you made some promises. Because of those promises, we're going to have the inheritance of the earth. And they were right in a lot of their thinking, but they were also wrong in a lot of their thinking. The Savior wasn't coming with an army. He wasn't coming to defeat the Roman Empire, who at that time was their oppressor. And he wasn't coming in the form of physical power that they were expecting, they were looking at this man. They were looking at his weakness. 
They were looking at his humanity. They were looking at all these things that he was, and they were saying, you are not the savior we expected. And that's partly why they killed him. But now that he rose from the dead, the, the disciples are thinking, oh, oh yeah, our time has come. You know, we stuck along with you, got a little rough for some of us when you were killed, but you're alive now. We were the 12 guys that were with you, you know, every three years. You said you had no home. We, we had no home with you, you know. It was crazy, but we were there. So where's our throne? It's okay. Thanks for laughing. At least somebody, you know. And they were, that, that's what their expectation was. But Christ had a different plan than they expected. You know what's funny about this verse is I still hear Christians asking the same question of God. They have this hope like Israel had in dominance over the earth of, hey, when's that physical kingdom, that army that where we rule everything? And Jesus gave the disciples an answer. That's our, if you haven't been here the last preview service, that's like our uh, telling me to shut up. I'm kind of winding down in the sermon. Don't worry, we'll stop. It's <laughs> Jesus. I love it. It's like my mid-message treat for everybody. Jesus answers the disciples when they ask this question, and he says, don't worry about that. Worry about this. He says, you will be my witnesses, and the Holy Spirit will empower you. And you will go to the ends of the earth, and you will spread this message, the gospel, the good news. And so he is telling us, don't worry about empires. Don't worry about nations. Don't worry about power. But worry about him. And this message that he has called us to spread. It's so easy, especially nowadays, to get wrapped up in the election and who's going to be this and who's going to be that. Well, I can tell you that every empire and every nation has risen and it has fallen. And at some point, America will be done rising and it will begin to fall. But at that moment, my God will still be on his throne and my message will still be the same. That there is a Savior who came on earth, and he died a horrible death, but he conquered that death and rose so that once again, mankind could have communion with him. And one day, there will be a new heavens and a new earth. Where there will be no more rebellion from God. And our call on this earth is to make disciples and spread that message until the day of the new heavens and the new earth. And that's where we came up with Zion, a city to come, because the Bible gives you this beautiful picture of the end game. That one day there will be a time where there is no more rebellion against God. Sickness, gone. Tears, gone. There will be a place of joy 
and a place of glory and worship unto our God. See, the kingdom of God is very different than the kingdom that the Jews thought was coming. And it's still a very different kingdom, I think, than many Christians believe that we have. We are so worried so many times about money, about status, about power, about glory. Because we're building our own kingdoms. We're building our own platforms. But Christ, at the end of the day, calls us to lay those things down before his throne. Lay those things down before him. Lay those things down. Our desires, our kingdom building, our power, our status, our prestige. And he calls us to take up his message. See, because Jesus is still working today. For some people, this is, this is a nighttime story that you read to your kids in hopes that they'll be a better kid. Some of us, we read these words and we want to believe them a lot of times, but we think, man, that was good at that time, but how do I know that this is real? But, and that's the thing about the ascension, is the ascension was the guarantee that Jesus would have power working throughout all the earth at all times. See, in verse 1, Luke says, all that he began to do and teach. See, the, the book of Acts was not an ending to what Jesus was doing, but it was more like a beginning. It was a beginning of the church. It was a beginning of his kingdom being established on earth. It was a beginning of his power not being concentrated in him as a human on earth, but being dispersed through the Holy Spirit in all believers across all the world. Christ's ascension meant his spirit's descension. In Ephesians 4.10, it says, He ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Today, he's calling us to walk with an assurance. An assurance of his continual presence in our lives. His continual power to work in our hearts and work in this world. When there are moments in your life when you think, man, can God really do that in my heart? I'm here to tell you that because he ascended into heaven, yes, he can do that. When you wonder, can I kick this habit? Can I change my thoughts? Can I really be at peace and content with where I am in life? Yes, his power is real. That's why it has to be more than a message that you hear on a Sunday. It has to be a message that you experience every day in your life. Christ cannot be something that is just purely taught to you. It has to be someone who is experienced in your life. See, I can tell you about his power. I can tell you about his presence and the things that he's done in my life all day. I'm not up here because it's fun. I'm not up here because I enjoy working hard to get up here every week. Although, you know, it's fun doing what we do, but that's not why I'm up here. I'm up here because at a moment in my life, the power of God became real in me. 
And I realized that his ascension, his death, his resurrection, those were not fairy tales, those were not stories, but they were things that had eternal consequence in my life and in my heart today. And when we begin to think like that and just begin to pray simple prayers like, God, if you're real, I want to experience you. God begins to honor those prayers. He begins to work in your life like you've never seen before. He begins to do things that you thought, man, this used to frustrate me so much. Why am I cool with that now? Or every time I put this on, my mind would wander to this place, but it doesn't seem like that's happening anymore. Because God's power not only brings us salvation, but daily it renews our minds and fills us with his presence, with his desires, with his transformative love. And this is the cornerstone, the crucial piece that Luke begins Acts with because it's the cornerstone of our faith. It's the crucial piece of the foundation of the church that if we do not get this gospel right, if it does not become the cornerstone of our own life, of this community, Zion, then we will miss out on all the amazing things that God has in store on experiencing his spirit and his power, seeing this community learn more about who Christ is and his glory. And so as I close, I feel the tension right now. I feel like God is, is speaking about experiencing his power and experiencing his glory. The ascension cannot be a fairy tale. It cannot be something that we think about and maybe something that we've seen in somebody else's life and think, oh, that was cool for them. The gospel has to be good news to us. And if you have not woken up every morning and realized that there is good news in your life, no matter what your circumstance is, even if things aren't going right in your life, if things seem to be breaking down or they're amazing, if you do not wake up and realize that there is good news and joy in your life and in your heart, then God is challenging you today to experience that news for yourself. When you came in, you should have gotten a prayer card. We want to encourage you. During the next few moments, we're going to worship. If God is speaking to you, if there's a prayer or a question that you have, write it on there. On your way out, you can drop it in the box or leave it at the connect table. If you want prayer for anything, if you say, man, I've, I've never really experienced God. I've never really believed in this gospel or this good news that Jesus really did die, really did raise, really did ascend. We want to pray with you. But most importantly, we invite you to join our community as we journey through all of this together. Like I said, if you need prayer at any moment during worship, we'll have some leaders up here that will pray with you. We have your prayer cards if you want prayer, but I want to call us to action.
Father, I pray that we would be people that not only talk about your gospel, but God, that we would be people that experience your gospel. Lord, that we would be people that not only know the good news, but Father, that we would be people that have witnessed and witnessed the good news. Father, I pray that our community would be centered around you, what you've done and how it affects our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.